0: Verse 1, it says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So here we've been given a break from the seven trumpet judgments and the three woes. We have a parenthesis here if you would in chapter 10 and 11. Some would call it a parenthetical statement and it's going to happen again when we get to the seven bowl judgments. This once again reveals God's abundant grace and mercy even in the midst of his wrath being poured out. We saw it in the seven seals being opened. There was the first four seals, then we were given a break, and then the next three. And here we're given the same thing. We've gone through the first four, the first woe, then we're given a break, and then he's going to finish the final two. Later on with the seven bulls, we're going to be given the same sort of pattern here. We've gone over Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2, how he says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. In Lamentations chapter 3 verse 32, it says, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. How every time God pours out his wrath, every time God executes justice and righteousness, there's still His grace and mercy and trying to bring people to repentance. One of the biggest questions that gets asked from unbelievers to believers or young believers to pastors is that if God is a good God, why does He allow evil? I don't know, anyone here ever asked that question? Anyone here ever been asked that question? You guys like the nine o'clock, I got to talk to more people about God, right? Because only a few of you have been asked this, but oftentimes we ask this, right? Even this week with the tragedy that happened this week, we ask God, if you're a good God, if you're omniscient, if you're all powerful, if you're all knowing, how can this happen? How can this be? And here we're given the reply from the angel that there should be delay no longer. Here in chapter 10, we're being reminded that even though right now it looks like evil's winning, even though right now it looks like evil is the one who's ruling and reigning over this planet, one day God will right every wrong. One day God will clear out all of the sin and all of the evil in this planet and bring about His judgment, His righteousness, and His perfect kingdom for a thousand years. Before COVID, we used to go to Israel about once every year or every two years. And one of my favorite sites there in Israel, it's the Valley of Megiddo. And you're able to stand there on one of the hilltops, right? And as you look down, there's just this giant valley. And Revelations tells us that it's here in the Valley of Megiddo where every single wrong will be made right. Where Jesus will execute justice for all the evil and sin and atrocities that mankind has been committing for thousands of years. Another thing to keep in mind throughout the book of Revelation is that Jesus is being revealed and that's the main point and the main topic of this book. That's the main thing we should be thinking about. Sadly, oftentimes Christians, we just start dwelling on the things we do not know within the book of Revelation. Right? It's been said all oh, you Christians are crazy or one denomination will dog on another denomination. You guys are just obsessed with Revelation and the Antichrist and what does the mark of the beast mean and all these different types of things. We have to be careful that we're not dwelling on what we don't know. We need to dwell on what we do know. Last chapter we saw the pit of the earth, this bottomless pit being opened up and we saw these demonic locusts with blonde hair And lion's teeth coming out of the earth. Now is this going to be exactly that, right? Jim Gallagher was saying kids are going to be collecting bugs and they're going to be staring at it, right? Saying, oh, it looks like my Aunt Ruth or something like that, right? Blonde hair, lion's teeth. I don't think so. I think every once in a while throughout Scripture, God peels back what's going on in the spiritual realm and he opens our eyes to it. There's two dimensions, if you would, and we're not talking about comic books or Marvel or anything like that. Every once in a while, God peels back our eyes from just this physical nature to what's happening in the spiritual realm. You could think of with the prophet Elisha, they're surrounded by an army, and all of a sudden their eyes are open and they see angels surrounding the army that's surrounding them. David at the end of second Samuel there's a moment when he sins God gives him his choice at his 3 um spankings if you would right he gets to choose which one and there in that moment he chooses God you pour out your wrath on me because I know you'll be gracious and when David goes to buy a plot of land to offer a sacrifice to get right with God once again it tells us that the man that owned that land he looked and there was an angel standing there as with a giant sickle over the nation of israel So I believe throughout the book of Revelation, we are being given what's actually happening, and he's opening our eyes to what's happening in the spiritual realm. Even right now, right, we look around. You could look around for a moment, right? There's a spiritual realm. There's not the spiritual realm that we can see. We see the physical realm, right? The people around us, the blue chairs, the rug, the walls, things like that. But if you would get a microscope and you started looking around through the microscope, you would see another dimension, if you would microbes and germs and all of these things amoebas you'd look at someone else's hand you'd be able to tell they didn't wash their hands right you you might be appalled at what's going on there and that's what's going on throughout the book of revelation two main points For us with this chapter, again, it's always important. Don't just dwell on what you don't know, dwell on what you do know. We're going to be revealed to us an angel, we're going to be revealed to us a little book, and we're going to be given these three thunders. And we don't really have an explanation in scripture specifically as to who this angel is, what's this little book, and what these seven thunders are. Oftentimes, not only churches, but cults. They dwell on what the Bible does not tell us anything about and somehow they get extra things and they say, we know exactly what this means. Come and join our church. We have to be careful with that. We should be dwelling on what we do know and ask God, okay, God, this is what I do know. Help me to rightly apply this. When we sin, when we fall short, it's not because we don't know what we should do. It's just a lack of acting on what we do know. A lack of being obedient On what we do know. So two main points for this chapter. The first point is that God does not owe us an answer to everything. God does not owe us an answer to everything. Again, I don't know if you've been there. I've been there many times in my life. Lord, what does this mean? Lord, why did this happen? God, why did you allow this? It's important for us to remember the only person that can demand an answer from someone else is someone who has authority over the person in question. Oftentimes, parents, we forget that we have authority. But you have the right to ask your son or daughter an answer to what's on their phone, what are they doing on their room, who are they with, what are they talking about. You are the person in authority. So, you have a right to ask them and demand an answer from them. Husbands and wives, we have authority over one another's body. That's what scripture tells us. So, there should be no secrets within a marriage. You should be able to demand an answer as a husband to your wife or a wife to your husband, unless your spouse works in the CIA or they're a secret agent or something like that. And say, if I tell you, I have to kill you, right? That, that, that's different. But outside of that, you have authority over one another and there should be no secrets. So for us to think that God owes us an answer, what you are saying is that you are an authority over God. And we have to be careful with that. God does not owe us an answer to everything. Even police or military, if they want to get an answer from us, God's given them a certain authority over us to demand an answer from us. So, the first point, God does not owe us an answer to everything. Second point is that we need to have a hunger for the Word of God. We need to have a hunger for the Word of God. I know some of you, you don't like to read. Join the club, right? I'm not just part of the club. I'm the the one that runs the club, right? I'm the president and CEO. I don't like reading that much. But when we go through the Word of God, when I read the Word of God, as we'll look at at the end of the Bible study, it brings life to us. It can strengthen us. It can reveal to us the intents of our heart, the intents of our mind. It can give us spiritual nourishment. It's the only thing that can truly sustain us. So, more than ever, we need to have a hunger for the word of God. So, let's dive in. Verse 1. It says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So, many of us, our first question is, who is this mighty angel? There's been at least 60 references to angels within the book of Revelation. That's not counting the seven churches with these seven angels or messengers or pastors. Most Bible scholars believe this is either Jesus or a mighty angel, maybe even the angel Michael if you want to give him his exact name. Again, listening to different Bible studies, it was about 75 to 25. 75% believe it's just a mighty angel. 25% thought that it was actually Jesus. It's easy to see how someone could think this is Jesus. In Revelation chapter one, verse 14 through 16, John gave us his description of this lamb that looked like he was slain, but it was also the lion. But he is Jesus. And Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, it says, His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth one a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Again, it's easy to think this might be Jesus. However, in the details here, especially in the Greek, this, I saw still another mighty angel. Every time that John writes down, and I saw, you can think of a change in the scene. It's a new scene. It's a new part of the film being played. So he changes and he sees something new. And he says, another mighty angel. In the Greek, that would be another of exactly the same kind as the rest of the angels or another identical angel. And I hope we all know Jesus is not just like another angel. He is one of a kind. In the Old Testament, we have these Christophanies where Jesus would reveal himself before he was born of Mary and he'd be called the angel of the Lord, or the commander of the army of the Lord. He's not just another mighty strong angel. However, this angel, I believe he's just another mighty angel. We've seen mighty angels all throughout Revelation in chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 18. It could be Michael. Some people like Michael. It could be Gabriel. Some people, their name is Gabriel, so they like Gabriel, right? It could be one of these many angels. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, chapter 12, Jude, chapter 1, verse 9, Revelation 12, we're reading it, it all speaks of mighty angels. Some people really think it's Michael because his name literally means who is like God. So seeing how he looks, his comeliness, many people believe that this is Michael. But clearly, William Barclay says this angel has come from the very presence of God. We see he has this rainbow hat, right, or crown or headpiece. He's clothed with clouds. His face was like the sun and his feet are like pillars of fire. That even in this judgment, his feet like pillars of fire, he has this covenant and this remembering of God's covenant with his people. In verse 2, he had a little book open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. We're not positive as to what this little book is. We'll give our best uh, guesstimate here as we read through the chapter. Nowhere in the book of Revelation does it give us a specific explanation for this little book. What we do know, again not dwelling on what we don't know, but dwelling on what we do know, is that this angel is given complete authority over the world. Right? He places one foot, his right foot, over all the sea, and he puts his other foot over all the land, and it's revealing to us how God has given this angel authority. He comes down from heaven down to earth, and he's given authority. He has this little book in his hand. Again, what this is revealing to us is in this season where there's evil in our world, Satan has been given the deed to this planet on loan, in a sense, Right? He's the prince of the power of the air. He's behind many of the kingdoms in this world, many of the governments, many of the companies in this world. Satan is given the power over them. But if you remember last chapter, he's that star that's cast out of heaven. And now we see this angel's given complete authority over the world. And then in verse 3, he cries out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out seven thunders, uttered their voices. He cries out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, right? That's one of the most majestic animals and creatures in our planet, the king of the jungle. Has anyone here heard a lion roaring? Anybody here, right? Not on TV, not on YouTube, right? Not the lion on MGM. Anybody in person hear a lion roar, right? A couple of us. It sort of shakes you to your core, Your heart sort of shakes inside of you. If you're too close, your stomach starts shaking inside of you, right? And this creature, scientists tell us that you can hear a lion's roar within five miles. So this angel is given this loud voice. And now when he cries out, there's seven thunders and they utter their voices. Throughout scripture, we see the voice of God, how mighty and strong it is. Even when God meets with Moses on the mountain, it speaks of the thundering happening, and God invites all the nation of Israel to come and talk with him, but what does the nation of Israel do? They say, no, man, Moses, you go up there, we'll stay back here. This is freaking us out and kind of scaring us. Even uh, last night, there was a thunderstorm in Miami, summer's coming, so it's going to be every afternoon, right? Right? We had a thunderstorm and I saw three different reactions in my kids. Levi, he's just watching all the lightning and thunder, taking it in. I love uh, a good storm and just watching it all happen. The power, the majesty of the Lord. Ella, she's giggling after every thunder, right? She's just giggling and laughing about it. Lukey, he's only three years old. He's talking about how he's scared of the thunder and, and sort of frightened about it. And I think even within our own hearts, Depending on our walk and relationship with the Lord, when we hear that thunderous voice, we'll have those different reactions. If we're right with Him, if we're on His side, if He's right, we're with Him, there's sort of this enjoyment and just watching the majesty take place. If we don't know where we're at with Him, maybe there's that, that nervous giggle, right? You don't know if you should be afraid or if you shouldn't. And if you're not right with the Lord, there's just this fear that comes upon you. Let's turn to Psalm 29. And here the psalmist, he speaks of the voice of the Lord. Psalm 29. If you like choirs and choral music, there's a great uh, song on this specific psalm. Psalm 29. A psalm of David. We'll start off in verse 3. Just speaking of the power of the Of our God. Psalm 29, verse 3, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. Again, the power of our God. One of my favorite portions of scriptures in the gospels is when the disciples are afraid and scared in the storm and Jesus gets up and just says, peace, be still. And how everything is silenced. The voice of Jesus Christ is able to silence the storm and the sea. We come back to Revelation 10 and in verse 4, John writes and he tells us, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Now what was John's job throughout this book of Revelation? Jesus literally told him, everything you see, write down, right? His job is to reveal everything that he's seeing. He's got to write it all down. It's important for us to know stubbornness is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think that, oh, I'm super stubborn, so God's going to be able to use me. Quite contrary, right? Faithfulness, that's something that's required of us. That's the only measuring stick for us as sons and daughters of God. We could think of Abraham and how God told him, hey, you need to sacrifice your son, your only begotten son. And he's ready for it. Abraham believed that he'd sacrifice his son Isaac and God would bring him back from the dead. And as he's there ready to sacrifice his son, the voice of the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, enough, just stop it. What, what if Abraham was stubborn, right? No, I gotta do what you told me to do, Lord, right? And he goes and he executes his son. That's not what God called him to do. And even here with John, we don't see him arguing or fighting with the Lord. And it's important for us, Sometimes we think God has told us something, or perhaps the Lord has given you a word. But if everything around you that's spiritual is crumbling and falling apart, perhaps it's time to not be an old wineskin and say, all right, Lord, you're doing a new thing here. Even for Peter, he struggled with that. Lord, you really want me to be with Gentiles? God, is this really what you want me to do and be? We need to be faithful to the Lord and not just stubborn God, he reveals so much to us. Most of his revelation comes from the word of God and even the heavens declare the majesty of God. However, there's always a sense of awe and wonder and the unknown with our God. Indeed, it takes faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. And here in chapter 4, we're we're given a portion of scripture of faith we don't know what the seven thunders uttered again it's interesting if you go through the commentaries a lot of commentators they want to tell you what the seven thunders said but we're not meant to know what they said and we need to be okay with god not telling us everything it takes faith there's certain things in scripture if you can perfectly explain the trinity man congrats to you i still don't fully get it right it's still three in one, right? We got the ice, water, vapor, right? We got all these things, but it doesn't really explain it. Jesus in the garden praying to God, but they're three in one. How does this all work, right? It's difficult to explain, but I know my God and I have faith in him. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it tells us the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So don't dwell on what you don't know. Just dwell on what you do know and be obedient to that. That's what we must do as believers. Don't get obsessed on what we don't know. Be obsessed on what you do know and be obedient to that. Again, our sin doesn't come from not knowing what the seven thunders uttered. Our sin comes from me not loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Our sin that come from those things, loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? Loving the Lord our God with everything we got. That's where our sin comes from. Even Jesus with his disciples in John 16 12, Jesus tells them, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And is that not what a good parent does? A good parent reveals certain things to their sons and daughters as they continue to grow and mature. If you're a parent, you've been there, right? Do you tell your son and daughter about the birds and the bees when they're three years old, right? Is that when you sit them down and you tell them exactly where babies come from and the medical procedures and everything? I hope not, right? But you pray about it. You do as the Lord leads you. But these things, they grow, And God, he does the same with us. He reveals a little bit more to us, a little bit more to us, a little bit more to us. And when we get to heaven, the rest of eternity, it's going to be him revealing a bit more to us, and a bit more to us, and a bit more to us. J.I. Packer, he says, we should not pry into God's secrets. We are to be content to live with what he has told us. Reverence excludes speculation about things Things that God has not mentioned in His Word. We must be content not to know what the Scripture does not tell us. This day and age we live in, a lot of people are afraid to give one of the best answers. When someone gives you a question, you know what one of the best answers is? I don't know. I don't know. It's a truthful answer. It's a good answer. But we live in a time period when everybody wants to at least act like they know. Even the news and media, right? Is there ever a headline? We don't know what happened. No, right away they tell you that they know everything. They tell you everything. And it could all be wrong. And then do they apologize about it? No, it's like six months later, a year later. Eh, we kind of messed up. Here's the truth, right? It's okay to tell someone, I don't know. Let me go back and study it some more. Verse 5 and 6, The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, he raised up, this is his right hand to heaven, he still has the little book in his hand, his left hand, and now he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be, no, that there should be delay no longer. Now again, what does this remind you of? This mighty angel, he lifts up his right hand and he's got a little book in his left hand. What is the angel doing? He's swearing an oath, right? He's making an oath to the Lord. I don't know if this is actually what still happens in courtrooms. Remember watching court shows as a kid, right? Do you swear to say the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? So that's basically what this angel is doing. This reveals to us once again that this is probably not Jesus, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it tells us, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You see, would Jesus have to swear on the one who created everything? No. That's himself, right? He is God. He doesn't have to say, so help me God. He is God, right? So this is, once again, probably just another one of the mighty angels we find all throughout Scripture. And the promise here, the oath that he makes, is that there should be delay no longer. You see, the time has come. The time has come for all the prayers of the saints to be answered. In chapter 9, we saw the voice calling out from the altar of incense. In chapter 5, we saw the voice and the cry of the martyrs. How long, O Lord? How long? And now the angel, he's making this vow, this oath, that there should be delay no longer and to us this is our joy this is our gladness this is a a sigh of relief but to everyone that is prideful and unwilling to say god your word is true this is absolute terror this is absolute bitterness we're going to see in a moment the sweetness and the bitterness of god's word and as we've been going through the book of revelation i hope you've been tasting of that to us, the rapture, it's absolute sweetness. It's honey. It's a joy for the believer. But when we sit back and we think of our unsaved friends, our unsaved family members, our unsaved co workers, if you, if you have a heart, if you really love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to hurt for them. We were with uh, some of the pastors and we had this conversation, and sometimes it happens to me, just sitting in a busy restaurant. And you sort of sit back and think of all the souls that are here. How many of them really know the Lord? Or you look at a college football game or a sporting event, thousands of people. And every once in a while you take a step back at what's happening and you think, how many souls are here? How many of them really know of the Lord? But there should be delay no longer. All the prayers that we've cried out to God, God, oh mercy, God of mercy, hear our plea. Every time we've prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, one day the delay will stop. One day he will answer our prayers. And to us, it's joy and gladness, but to the unbeliever, it's terror and pain for all of time. Verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound the mystery of God, Would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. This is our best clue as to what this little book is the mystery of God that would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. You see, in the Bible, a mystery, it's not a a corny dinner show that you go to, a mystery, it's uh, not Sherlock Holmes or anyone else. But a mystery is something that no one could know unless God revealed it to him. There's many things in Scripture that we would never know unless the Bible told us about it. And here it's saying that there's a mystery of God that would be finished, but he's already declared this mystery to his servants, the prophets. This isn't the only mystery in Scripture. In Romans chapter 11 verse 25 there we see the mystery of the ultimate conversion of the Jewish people. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 3 through 11 we see the mystery of God's purpose for the church. In Romans chapter 11 verse 25 there the bringing in of the fullness of the Gentiles is called a mystery. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 3, the living presence of Jesus inside of the believer, the living presence of Jesus in each of us that are his sons and daughters is called the mystery of God. There's no amount of studying in extracurricular books or even in nature that would reveal to us that Jesus Christ is living inside of us. That the Holy Spirit is living inside of us—it's a mystery that has been revealed from God to us by His Word. Finally, Colossians chapter four, verse three tells us that the gospel itself is called the mystery of Christ. It's a mystery. God He breathed and He filled these writers with the Holy Spirit to write out the God-breathed Word of God. Here the mystery and discussion in Revelation ten. Probably has to do with God's plan for the end of the age. How God is going to finish His judgment upon this earth, and how God is going to establish His kingdom on this earth with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning for a thousand years. And it's what prophets have been speaking of even in the Old Testament. Now we come to verse 8, and a strange interaction here with. John and this angel. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, so he gets another voice from heaven, speaks to him again and says, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Now, I think any of us would agree, eating any type of book would give you a belly ache, right? Any type of book, no matter how big, how small it is, no matter how much fibers in the pages, it would wreck your stomach. This also reminds me of Numbers. We just went through that strange law against jealousy. And if a husband thought was jealous of his wife, they'd bring her to the tabernacle. They'd get a cup of water. They'd get some dirt from the tabernacle. They'd write out on ink on a, on a scroll what the sins were. Then they'd scrape off the ink into the water, stir it up. She'd drink it, right? If she was sinning, her thighs would rot. Her stomach would swell. So this reminds me of this as well. However, this idea of eating the word of God is not alone in the book of Revelation. Even today, those of you who are bookworms and and love reading, you would say, man, that book was so good, I just devoured it, right? I got back from uh, Calvary Philly. They have a great bookstore. I bought a bunch of books for my kids. They were reading, coloring the whole day. I could say my kids loved those books. They just ate it up, right? We say things like that. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 19. And in Psalm chapter 19, David here, he's speaking about how great the word of God is and how sweet it is to his soul. And this is something I believe we all have to work on. It's a hunger and thirst for the word of God. I don't know how much of the Bible you're reading, right? After one chapter, our flesh starts kicking in saying, right, enough is enough. Stop this. But in Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Again, David, he's a king and he's able to write how important the word of God is to him. How it's to be desired even more than the finest of gold. It's sweeter to him than honey and the honeycomb. There's nothing sweeter in this time period than honey. There's no ice cream, right? Thank God we have ice cream. But there's no ice cream in this time period. There's no candy or nerds, right, or anything like that. There's nothing sweeter than honey. And David is saying there's nothing sweeter than feeding on the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 102 through 104, he says, I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The prophet Ezekiel, he goes through something very similar to John in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Ezekiel says, moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly. And fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. In Job chapter 23 verse 12, Job says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than necessary food. Job going through his difficulty he says, God's word I treasured even more than any comfort food, than any ice cream, than any fried chicken or anything else like that, right? He says, God, your word is what brings comfort to my soul. Jeremiah 15 verse 16, he says, your words were found and I ate them. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? We, we love bread, right? At least I love bread. I right? get a tostada from the youth cafe, and man, they're so good. But Jesus tells us not to live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's a giant lie going throughout our world, and even within church circles, right? That in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a rough season, you just need a me day, right? I just need a me day. I just need a day where I just treat myself and I do whatever I want. I just sit on the couch and watch Netflix for hours upon hours and just eat all the food in the pantry. And then I will feel relaxed. Then I will be comforted. Do you ever feel relaxed and comforted afterwards? No. Is there a a chapter and verse for me days in the Bible? No, it's all a lie. You see, the only thing that can comfort our souls, the only thing that can bring sustenance to our souls is by feeding on the Word of God. I challenge you, I encourage you, next time you're anxious, next time you're fearful, next time you're overwhelmed with everything you've got to do, turn off the electronics, grab your Bible, and go outside. And just read and feed upon God's word. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to strengthen you, to reveal his word to you. This is what we need to feed on. This is what's going to bring strength to our souls. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1-3, through 3, Paul tells the church of Corinth, he says, Brethren, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babies in Christ. So I fed you with milk, And not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there's envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Paul says, Hey, I'm trying to feed you the word of God, but you are so immature, I can only give you the milk of God's word, I can't give you the meat of God's word. I love milk and I love steak, right? So for me, I like both. I try to feed you both. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, Peter, he's not speaking down or convicting the people he's writing to, but he's using an analogy here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Peter says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking, lay aside those things, right? What we should do is as a newborn baby does, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We've been blessed in this season with all these baby dedications. And is there anything that a baby desires more than the milk of their mother? There's nothing that they desire more than that. And Peter saying, for each of us as believers, we are to put off all these things. Put off malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. And instead, what we should do is just like a baby, a newborn baby desires pure milk, we should desire the pure milk of the word. We should be waking up at three in the morning and crying and just grabbing our Bible and reading it, right? All day, every day. Something hurts. Something annoys us. A noise scares us. We should go straight to the word of God. We feel fussy. Our body feels off. Our tummy feels off. Get in the word of God right away, right? That's what we should be doing. We should be desiring the word of God. Why? At the end of verse 2, that you may grow thereby. The only way we're going to grow spiritually is by taking in more and more and more of the word of God. Family, how consistent are you in reading the Word of God on your own? That's going to judge how much you can grow in God's Word. Just like if you were only feeding once a week, right? Yeah, I'm in God's Word just on Sundays, okay? You can only eat on Sundays from here on out, right? And we'll see how your health does. Oh, I got the holiday package. just Christmas and Easter. That, that, that's, that's when I go to church, right? All right. We're going to feed you twice a year and see how your body does. You see, the only way we can grow spiritually is by taking in God's Word. Even at the pastor's conference, again, I encourage you, there's always a session on the importance of a pastor reminding other pastors, stay in the Word of God. We need to stay in the Word of God. It is God-breathed, Right? Even parents, pray about the education of your kids. How much of God's word is connected into what your kids are learning on a daily basis? Again, we're so blessed here at the church with the lighthouse ministry and the school, how there's chapel every day and there's an emphasis on the word of God and a biblical worldview. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 one last verse on this, and then we'll look at the last two verses. First Corinthians 14:20. He says, "Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babies. But in understanding, be mature." You see, for us, we should be babies when it comes to the evils of this world. You shouldn't know every single secular song out there, every single bad word, every drug, every movie, every bad scene, every bad website. You have no need to know that as a believer. Our role is to be babies, to be immature when it comes to the evil things of this world. Crude jokes should go over our head because of how immature we are in the evils of this world. But our role, our job, is to be mature when it comes to understanding God's word. How much of God's word do you have memorized? How strong are you in theology and in knowing scripture? Ah, I got a verse memorized. Jesus wept. I'm good, right? I got one down, right? No, we need to be taking in more and more of God's word so that we can grow and be mature. We need to be simple minded. When it comes to the evil and sinful things of this world. And we should be wise and full of understanding when it comes to the word of God. Finally verse 10 and 11. He says, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. You see, when you take in the word of God, there's sweet things and there's bitter things, right? You could say God's word is sweet and sour, if you would, right? God's forgiveness. When you first find out that God has forgiven you of your sins, there's something sweet about it. When you realize that God wants to adopt you as a son or as a daughter... Man, there's something sweet about it. When you realize that our identity can be in Christ Jesus and not just the work we do for Christ Jesus, man, that's something sweet. When we realize how faithful he is, that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we realize his agape love, that he loves us in a sacrificial way, that there's nothing that can take us out of this love of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, that's sweet to our souls. When we realize His grace and His mercy, His unmerited goodness and favor to us, man, it's so sweet to our souls. But when we sit back and we understand that our unsaved friends and family—that if they don't repent, if they don't humble themselves and say, "God, Your Word is true," and that they're going to spend eternity in hell—it ah, it sort of hurts. It sort of stings. When you realize your own flesh and how we have a double agent living inside of each and every one of us, Ah, it's, it's bitter. It's difficult to realize. When we realize our own stubbornness, our own hidden sins, when we realize Jesus has given us power over sin and power over our flesh, and yet we're still going back to our old master, it brings bitterness to our stomachs. And the thing is, bitter things cannot just sit in your stomach. They need to come out, right? One way or another, we do something to address it when we are in pain, when our stomachs are bitter. You see, we need to feed on God's Word, not to just stuff ourselves and hold in the bitterness. We shouldn't just be feeding on God's Word so we could be this creepy old library with all of this knowledge and all of these dusty books. But we need to be feeding on God's Word so that we can share it with the world around us. That is why, family, we need to be feeding on God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, Paul warns us, and if anyone was a man of great knowledge, it was Paul. And Paul warns us, knowledge puffs up, but love, it edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Again, how are we known by God? How, do we, how are we shown that we really have a relationship with God? It's by the love that we have. It's not by how much theology and how much doctrine and how many degrees we have. It's by taking in the word of God, allowing it to wreck our souls, wreck our hearts, and then coming back and loving the world around us as Jesus has loved us. This bitterness of the word of God, the sting of it should cause us to share it with all the world. You think of those two men on the road to Emmaus and they say, Did not our hearts burn when he was with us and sharing the scriptures with us? We need to be giving the word of God. But guess what, family? If you don't have any of the word of God in you, you can't give any of it out. Someone dying, someone in need, someone their marriage is broken and you're not feeding on God's word. You got nothing to say. You got nothing to do. But that's why we need to be feeding on God's word. So that we can be better fathers. We can be better mothers, better employees, better employers. We need to be feeding on God's word all the more. It's the only thing that can sustain us. It's the only thing that can take someone who's simple-minded and make them wise. It's by feeding on the word of god david guzic he says any effective communicator of god's word has experienced both the sweetness and the bitterness that's associated with the word of god how much are you feeding on god's word are you feeding on it more than your food more than your sustenance or after one verse or one chapter you sort of just give up and you give into your flesh right How many hours we waste on social media, on looking at our portfolio, on looking at things that do not matter, that cannot change, even though we're investing our time into them, right? Even tonight, the heat game, I'll probably be watching it, right? Do I affect the outcome of the game by watching it? Not whatsoever, right? No matter what you may think at home, different chair, different hat, no, nothing, (laughs) that doesn't affect anything, right? Right? I I could just look at the score a week from now, and I could figure it out, right? But if I spend time in God's Word, it affects my soul. It affects my family. It affects my friends. It affects the world around me. I encourage you, friend, get into God's Word. If you're here and you haven't been consistent, man, grab one of the, the little cards in the info booth. We're going through God's Word together as a church. Don't worry about catching up all the way from January. Just start was May 29th, and start reading the two, three, four chapters each day. Worship team, if you can come up and, again, family, remember the two points. God does not owe us an answer to everything. We have to be reminded that God has always been faithful. He's always acting in perfect love. He's never failed us before, and he promises us that he will never leave us nor never forsake us. Trust in the Lord. Don't give in to your flesh. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy. Trust in the Lord. And I hope that you've been stirred up to have a renewed hunger for the Word of God. To feed on it morning and night. To feed on it more than you did yesterday. More than you did last year. More than you did 10 years ago. We need to feed on God's Word more than ever before. So that our lives can change. And so that we can share our changed lives with our family, our friends, and our coworkers. Again, if you don't have it yourself, if you don't possess it yourself, you can't give it. You can't hand it out. So I pray that each of us, we'd give our lives over to the Lord so that He can possess us. He can hold us. And we can share that with the world around us. So hey, let's all stand. We'll pray. Pastors, you can come up front. And we'll close in worship. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word, Lord. How your word, Lord, it can be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, God. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's at a crossroads right now. Anyone that's faced with a big decision, Lord. So many of the youth, so many of the young adults trying to figure out their lives, Lord. I pray that they would just begin to devour your word. How you you tell us what your will is time and time again in your word. Lord, for anyone struggling in their marriage or at work or in this season of life, Lord, I pray that they would turn to your word and allow it to soothe their soul. And God, if anyone this morning, Lord, they've tasted the bitterness of your word, Lord, knowing that if they're not right with you, if they don't humble themselves before you, it's an eternity of hell that awaits them. I pray that they cry out to you, Lord, so that they could taste not only the bitterness, but the sweetness of your word. Lord, stir that up in us, Lord, to share your word with others, God. Lord, to be more bold in the days that we're in. Lord, to share the great hope that's inside of each and every one of us. So we just love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.